This episode of Probably Science is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website, portfolio, or online store. For a free trial and 10% off your first purchase, go to squarespace.com and use the offer code PROBABLYSCIENCE. Probably Science. Welcome to Probably Science. I'm Matt Kirshen. I'm sat opposite Jesse Case. Hello. And next to Andy Wood. Yes, yes. We're back in the garden. The holidays are over. Everyone's back in town. We're back on a regular schedule, I hope. I apologize for the lateness. I think a lot of that was on me. What holidays were there? It was Memorial Day. That was a thing, wasn't it? Does that count as a, do you call that a holiday? Would it, I, I wouldn't call it the holidays. It yeah, there aren't the holidays is Christmas. The holidays is the Christmas, New Year, Thanksgiving. I guess Thanksgiving would kick that off. Memorial Day versus Veterans Day. What's the difference? Oh, I don't know. I don't know I why you don't either. like what you threw to me is a. Uh, What's it? When is Veterans Day? I don't know when, but I know they're both they're both bank holidays. And Maybe both, Veterans Day is for the ones who are still alive, and Memorial Day is for the ones that are dead. That's shitty. So like that's a dumb. Th- that's dumb. <laughs> like I don't. No, uh, I mean, for, they have to have died in combat. Forgive as well. my language on that to say that, but it's like just. Uh, I mean, merge the two. It does make sense because also, what happens if someone's in a coma? Like, which day do they have? Well, yeah. <laughs> Where do they fit? Where do they fit? And it's like not someone's fault if they're didn't fight in the you know fucking war of eighteen twelve, and they're like, yeah, I survived. I only get one day yeah, like, yeah, one day right, my, my my holiday doesn't even kick off summer it's just a regular old holiday it's not, just a regular maybe even one you don't even get the day well, like, i guess maybe it like be, if it is like the alive and dead vet, it, then i guess it's like veterans day and memorial day is the sort of same pairing as christmas and easter like that's okay Jesus that's a good call veteran yeah, no that's, that's a, a good call analogy that is a perfect analogy um Hmm. I always thought it was weird, though, that my, my parents would, would give me my Veterans Day basket. I always thought that was a weird, <laughs> just a weird thing. Veterans Day eggs are... The military bunny. Yeah. <laughs> just a bit. Yeah. Yeah. Why does just a terrifying bunny? rabbit that's yeah. No, he would leave... Charges you with a bayonet. No, he would leave bullets uh, sort of through the night <laughs> around the house, and I'd find all the bullets. Uh, <laughs> Hidden live landmines throughout yeah. the yard. Yeah. yeah. That was not a good... Yeah. I, I, I forgot to tell you guys, I wasn't always an only child. I... Um, <laughs> Oh, no, man. I lost several siblings on uh, on Veterans Day uh, mine hunts. Um, <laughs> What's the holiday we use to memorialize those people who are lost in the Veterans Day mine That's hunts? like a Boxing Day thing. It's oh, like okay. the next day. <laughs> Never forget. Never, Never forget. forget. Never forget, guys. Um, now that we've trivialized the deaths of military. <laughs> um, sure. Or honored them in, in the yes, way that we would. In the way that we I, I feel I feel they've been honored. Uh, should we? Uh, we got some people to thank, but first we should thank. Uh, we should introduce our guest because you can. You've already heard her. You've already yes. heard laughter. You like know that we're not laugh. alone. It's, <laughs> it is a delightful laugh. It's another. Just another a, a fellow Brit. I'm happy to get fellow Brits on. I'm more happy to get them on when they're good friends of mine. A uh, very funny comedy writer. One of the co-writers of Bigopedia, which is the radio show uh, I helped make a few years ago. Which Nick Doody, who's also been on the show before, also. Uh, created and co-wrote. It's the best thing we've ever done. Yeah, I'm very proud of it. slightly depressing. I'm very, very we proud of it. So Sarah Morgan. Sarah Hi. Morgan's Hello. over here. Hello, Sarah. Thanks for Hello. coming, Sarah. Thank you for having me. Just very, like, briefly visiting LA. You, you were doing Max FunCon. Yes, I was. Um, in a beautiful Lake Arrowhead. Um, it was lovely. I was teaching a, uh, taking a class on uh, how to write comedy like a British person, uh, which Just is fun. More um, slapstick. The word yeah. bum. Yeah, it was my cheekiness. Event. Did you say you were teaching a class? I was teaching a class yeah. on how to write comedy like a British person. Exactly. 
That's weird, right? <laughs> is it? I mean, no, you take I the, you teach take how the, to write comedy like an Albanian. That wouldn't work. They, no, but I mean, no like, take the gig. I'm not slagging it off, okay. which I learned in your class. Okay. But I, uh, <laughs> <laughs> <Did you? laughs> yeah, no, I took your class. I'm sorry if I'm coming off like a knobhead. <laughs> but uh, bollocks to that, Jesse. Yeah, yeah. But uh, you know, I feel like uh, writing all this will help me get some more minge. Uh, I uh, <laughs> fucking write comedy like a British person. It's the weirdest. It's kind of racist, but I don't know. I, 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 I think he was it. mostly just like leading a panel on this is British comedy and this is what British comedy is like. It was mainly clips, but now I, you know, I'm glad I've been called racist. <laughs> no, no, no. Well, no, first of all, uh, British isn't a race. Yeah. I'm, it's not one of those things, but it's something yeah, it's like... it's xenophobic, um, if anything. But yeah. now this happens to me often where... I'll hear about something or I see something and there's something off about it, but I can't put my finger on it. I'm too right. lazy to figure it out. Mm-hmm. So it's one of those things. There's something a little weird about doing that, but in the same way that like I feel uncomfortable around like Oprah, where I'm like, I don't know why I don't <laughs> like it. There's just something. How much time do you spend in the vicinity of Oprah? <laughs> She's all, have you not been in our living room? Oprah's around. No, I'm just like, I'm just like. I assume what your problem was is just Anglophilia, which I have a problem with, not because I don't love the Brits, but like our culture's appropriation of British culture is sometimes disturbing. We were ta- before we started recording, we're talking yeah. about the fact that every comedy nerd worth his comedy nerd, whatever comedy nerd reference thing instead of salt, uh, <laughs> it, it, in America grew up loving Monty Python, like quoting, um, quoting um, um, uh, Holy Grail is. Uh, the quintessential nerdy thing to do, no matter what culture you're from, right? Mm. I guess I'm wrong. No, but I guess I'm wrong. I did just take a uh, play guitar like a Pollock. And, um... <laughs> no, I'm more I... fascinated with the fact that, like, this class, I'm imagining it's, this class you're teaching is full of these American uh, comedy nerds who just yeah. wish they could be British. There was, they yeah, I mean, there was a slight... A Pinocchio slight... style to be made into a real British boy. <laughs> There was a slight, yeah, he was Italian, but there's a slight, <laughs> there's a slight no, good sense call. of, um, yeah, thanks very much. Uh, <laughs> it's all European. Uh, yeah, no, just, it, it, it's weirdly, to be weirdly competitive about how British you can be is almost an oxymoron. So they were competitive, they were very nice people who were very competitive about how much they knew about things I was trying so, to teach them about. So it, what, it did you yeah. teach them? Did you... Uh, no, I would feel like I'm being it would really be... unfair. They're lovely, lovely, no, of course, lovely of course. class. But, but I feel they, like they were very delighted when I, I people were insulting. Of course, they they're great. Yeah. No, no, I'm not insulting the people at all. I think it would be an interesting. I find your gung ho enthusiasm delight. <laughs> it would be an, it would be an interesting class to take. But I think that it would be strange for you as the instructor to hmm. think about like, oh fuck, what makes British comedy British aside hmm. from accents? Or perhaps subject matter that has to do with Parliament, but you would have. To, when we were talking no, about this. No, but you we were talking about this like, before. Yeah. One of the Spinning things is image the, puppets, of course. Did you, you have the... rules of like when in doubt, man in dress? Like, <laughs> oh, that's a good one. I, I I can tell you. I mean, I'll, I'll rattle through them. I can tell you the seven rules. Bare bums. They're, Very big. Well, uh, rule number three was there are just so many words of vagina. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Which is you know when in doubt. Uh, uh, I mean, there's the British joke. Uh, a woman walks into a pub and she says to the barman, I'd like a double entendre, please. So he gave her one. And that is a very British joke. Even Matt didn't laugh. Then that's appalling. Oh, my it. God. I've heard it. You've heard it. All right. Yeah. No, because I've been to that pub. It's, it's worse. <laughs> no, because to me, if I don't laugh, I'm like, that is fucking British. Yeah. Like yeah. that is that sketch yeah. is so British. I didn't understand any of that. It's it's yeah. I mean, we the, the obsession that our, our countrymen have with sex and wordplay is um, it, it, it sure. leads. So, yes, I played a lot of clips of uh 
uh, terrible things like Allo Allo and Open All Hours and uh, Are You Being Served, things where mm-hmm. it's, it's the, the, the thwarted sexuality of the uh, British yeah. everyman, which is, which is uh, I find interesting that it's a joke that we don't have, is the kind of successful bro. The um, tw- I was looking at the poster for 22 Jump Street, which has uh, Jonah Hill and who's the other Channing, guy? Channing Tatum. Tatum, and they are bros, and they're going to spring break, and they have bro jokes on their t-shirts, and the, they're not anti-heroes. You're supposed to really like them and be on their team, and they're going to have sex, and it's it's like these are characters we just don't have in British comedy. They're kind of yeah. You talked, you mentioned right. before, and I hadn't really thought about this, yeah. but the number of British sitcoms that have the relatively old man pining after a woman for like 20 for, years yeah for like 30 like three decades a show will be based around a man wanting to fuck the nurse over the well, road the, right <laughs> and it's but, that's but that's the interesting common. thing is all the potential stars that could pull it off in england mm. move to america too quickly it's, yes because they like, like, leave out of embarrassment well, well, <laughs> what i mean is like if russell brand was still in england he could play that character he could play a, guy, a lothario that you know, success, is successful with that, or like Hugh Laurie, they could, they could ugly him up to make him an underdog. You're saying because he comes off they as could, an alpha no, male, also, which is the. But that's what I'm saying. saying. But he left. He's not there to play that anymore. Okay, so you guys could have your alpha males in. The yeah, but they all but they, they all, all move here. Left. They okay. get recruited. Yeah, I wouldn't. I mean, Russell Brand has a very particular niche when it comes to alpha. This is very, way less sciencey than I. Thought no, no we'll get to the science. Let's, yeah. let's play this science. I've heard the show Russell before. Brand. You know how rarely we stay on topic. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think Russell Brand has, has, has sort of found a. I wouldn't call him an alpha male. He's more. He's found a sort of indie niche that means that he gets away with being as he is. You don't find him attractive, is what I'm hearing. Uh, oh, I, I, I had the opportunity and I turned him down. I was no, like, yeah, there you go. Oh, I'm, I'm, in the, I'm in the exclusive gossip. circle of the Whoa. Venn diagram where I could have done. Wow. And, and I can say that because it's Pre-Katie not like he's going to sue me yeah. <laughs> for that wow. libel. Yeah. No, easy. Uh, yeah, he. Uh, oh God, I was just about to say something so libelous. Then, <laughs> and oh, I, well, yeah. we could edit it uh, out, but then like no, see it, so fine. we could hear it. The, wow. the listeners can be. Bummed it is worth pointing it. out, though, that all British women at some point had the opportunity. <laughs> no, exactly. I mean, just silly by dint of birth. It was. It was. Yeah. You, got, you get a letter on your. Is it your twenty-fifth birthday? Did you get the letter? <laughs> yes. yes. Let's yeah, say 25th. That's, weird, that's not wax yeah. on that seal. That's the, the tricky thing. I, oh, he wax on the seal. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, yeah, he wax on the seal. Wow. That'll get you kicked out of a zoo. Um, all right, everybody. Okay. We have some people to thank. People to thank. We have, some people have been very generous in, uh, uh, in the time since we last did the show. Uh, Jared, Jared Lessel donated some money. Jared, Jared from Brooklyn. We have, so we have at least one New York listener. Nice. Um, Thank you, Jim. Alistair Willett from the UK sent some money. Sh- should I try to read this in a horrible no, I don't accent? think it's even worth <laughs> okay, it. Like, okay. it was just... he. Like, all you have to know, Alistair, thank you very much for your long... <laughs> And very wordy email, yeah. and I know you did it on purpose. Yeah. That was a, <laughs> and Alistair used it with a, Esquire. Of he course. used it with yeah, Esquire. There were some nice words. Uh, didactic is in there. Uh, <laughs> Jollification. There are a lot of lot of words, a lot of big words. <laughs> Thank you, Alistair, for uh, for a lot of words and for your donation. Florian Friestetter from Austria sent us a very generous donation. Um, it's just worth pointing out as well. Florian has the name that should go with Alistair's email. That's true. <laughs> like, that does sound like mm. uh, it didn't quite match up, but. Thank you very much for that. And he, he wants us to get more Austrian guests on. So I don't know how to make that happen, but I'm I'm open to it. If Florian is an astronomer and an Austrian. So yeah, if, if we ha- if you know of any Austrians who are within 
driving distance of Los Angeles, then send them our way. <laughs> I think uh, this primatologist we're going to have is German. Do we do we get a do we have a German donor guy? Uh, I yes, I think, we, I think we might. I think right. we might. Um, Andrew Thorne was very generous. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you, Andrew. Um, as was John Evans, who is a British expat uh, who lives in Richmond, Virginia. So. Uh, I'll read this. I'm going to go ahead and read this. Oh. He said, don't take this the wrong way, but I put your show on to fall asleep. Uh, <laughs> he finds the combination we'll of just, reverent we'll comedy just take and that the right to be, way. <laughs> to be soothing to the soul. Well, I, I wrote and then he also and I said, sent a pronunciation guide as well, uh, <laughs> which, I, which I apparently have completely ignored. We should have moved that to before I said his name on the well, list. My husband also it's likes John to listen Evans. to the show to fall asleep. And well, now everyone knows that. <laughs> I, I take that as a soothing voices, and also as Professor Matt Walker taught us on the live episode from Sketchfest, uh, that's how you retain memories is by yeah. sleeping. So it's just. In fact, I could send him a message: "Go to sleep, you prick! It's late, and the baby's going to get us up." <laughs> right. If you're hearing this, you should already be Love asleep. You. Um, <laughs> it is interesting that at about the 20 minute mark every episode, we do whale sounds for a while. <laughs> Which I've always wondered. I've always wondered why we did it. With hindsight, that's a mistake. Yeah, I think a lot of people a, lose the show after that yeah, point. With hindsight, it was a bad call. Uh, I honestly do love falling asleep. To to uh, it, like, I used to play. I, I played trombone for a long time, and I would go to band camp. That's super nerdy, I know. But uh, my favorite thing was sitting in on better orchestras playing and falling asleep listening to an orchestra play live. <laughs> so I you're actually listening to the trombone, which is the least soothing of all. <laughs> I, I mean, falling asleep to orchestral music is delightful. Oh, falling me. asleep to orchestral music is great. You know what I fell asleep to last night, Andy? What's that? Was uh, someone practicing Tiny Dancer on ukulele. No, what? <laughs> yeah, who did that? Oh, no. Was, oh, was my door open? Oh, oh yeah. boy, was it ever open. <laughs> Good God, that oh, door was open. <laughs> you nailed it, though. You nailed no, Tiny Dancer on the uke. You. Fuck you. No, there's no... <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Yeah, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful rendition. You're just saying that. I, I wanted I, to hold I you wanna, closer. Like, once the job ends, I want to start doing the ukulele videos again. So I got to get some. Those were um, great. Uh, okay. Oh, also thank oh, you to Matthew gosh. Arnold, who ha- yes. Matthew Arnold, who has a recurring Continuing payment. Ongoing. Matthew Arnold, super fan. Matthew Arnold. Thanks, I buddy. can't continue this podcast. I'm yeah. mortified that you heard that. <laughs> you, I mean, you're, you're pretty brazen about it. I, I didn't realize the door was because we don't have air conditioning. Isn't Our working. air conditioner's out. I forgot out. that I left the door open because of, yeah. Count the <laughs> Fuck you! It's not that bad. Like, no, you made I have good the new ukuleles. I know, Martin and you sounds, made good choices too. You did like a minor seven to cover the bass line too. It was great. I'm serious. I was listening. It was great. Um, it really I don't was. Want to keep recording right now? It was great. <laughs> you have to go. Right. You have to go get the uke, don't you? No, God. The last thing I want to do is that. I want to. Stop. I want to press stop on this. Uh, so yes, thank you, Matthew Arnold, and all the donors. Uh, and we will get to some science. We're getting to science soon. I swear to God. Let's do it. Let's do it. Uh, before we do, we always ask our guests if they have any background in the sciences at all, including just uh, memories from school. Do you? No, have any- absolutely. I'm afraid I, I it was it was you were either an arty kid or a sciencey kid, and they weren't considered to be the same thing. So and and were- so I did media studies basically. Um, no, I I, re- I remember when I realised that actually I think I would have loved to have studied maths and physics and things that I thought were just oh they're f- not for the likes of me those sure. those subjects and it was I, I was, draw yeah I draw I play the ukulele <laughs> I can play tiny dancer on the ukulele I can um well, um, I know how this yeah. show ends. Yeah. <laughs> I know how the show ends today. Um, but yeah, no, I, I remember watching a DVD of Futurama when I was in my mid-twenties and they were talking about some, uh, one of the more mathematics uh, things on the show and a very nice lady was, it was like a, one of the DVD extra and the very nice uh, lady mathematician who was talking about it uh, just went, oh, and it's uh, this, that, this, that, and, the, and it was a really simple sum. It was like, 
12 times 3 or something. And she pulled out a calculator and did it. And I was like, I didn't know you were allowed to do that. And honestly, until that point, I thought all maths was arithmetic. That I right. just kind of assumed that if you didn't know how to do your ta- your times table, you weren't going to be any good at maths. Because that's how it had always been taught to me. It was like, it was your times table. You can't instantly do eight sevens. Then yeah. there's no way then, you then, could then, ever then study this. Then you're just this. not a maths person or a sciencey person. Mm. And and I when I, as soon as I saw that, it was, and it sounds really thick, but on a, I, when I saw that, I was like, oh, I could have... Oh, I could have just used a calculator and then been really interested in all this nerdy stuff that she's talking about that is now so massive that I will never wrap right. my head around it. So it was just so. the daunting idea that you had to be able to do everything in your head or else you weren't a mathematician. Uh, yeah, I have terrible mental arithmetic and uh, absolutely poor, and I can't make numbers stick in my head. And then I realized, found out apparently letters are involved now, <laughs> like rather than so numbers. So you thought you had point. to manually work it out with a hashtag two pencil? A hashtag two pencil? You guys know the, it's the pencils we would use? We'd always use a hashtag two pencil? <laughs> Why do you, are you replacing the number sign with hashtag uh, whenever it's like, uh, extant now? I thought it was a Twitter joke, and I said, you no, didn't have Twitter when I was No, it's my, it's my new thing. Is right. I just replace the number, number sign, sign with hashtag, hashtag. No matter yeah. what. That's not even called that in yeah, Britain, is like it? Like, if, if you're paging somebody at the end of the number, press the hashtag. <laughs> I don't <laughs> know, guys. Do we call it a pound sign? No. What do we no, Americans call it a pound sign, because in Britain, a pound sign would be the... Yeah, the, the, the symbol Queen's for pounds. Pro- yeah, the, the L thing. Currency, yeah. That's why Kesha oh, is Kella over there. Oh my god! I never <laughs> thought of the fact that yeah, like yeah. Pound, no, I think pound we, sign. I think we do call that a hash. Pound. That used to be in Britain. That was the hash symbol on a on a phone. Now, how much is a stone? Sixteen <laughs> points. I don't know. Sixteen pounds. I think it's sixteen. How, how many ounces are there in a pound? Sixteen. 16 okay, then it's fourteen pounds in a stone. Oh, okay. one's sixteen, one's fourteen. I can never remember which way around they 16 are. Sixteen stone is the greatest album of the '90s. Is why I thought it was sixteen pounds. That Bush album, and the Bush album, yeah, sixteen stone. Which is like that'd be pretty heavy, right? For a g- no, wait, fourteen times sixteen quickly. Sixteen uh, over two hundred, but less than two fifty six. Uh, it would be thirty two less than two uh, two twenty four, right? Uh, don't look at me. I okay. stopped even I trying to do it. I, I don't d- know. I just man. start crying. <laughs> yeah. um, Every, hey man, everything's talk. in, brother. Yeah. Anyway, that was sarcasm. Bush is the worst band ever. <laughs> um, you know what's weird though is we do live with Gavin Rossdale's asshole brother. Out here in LA, I feel, feel like. Wait, I, I don't get the joke. Why did I laugh? That, at it? I'm sorry. That, that everything's in. Get flat in Los Angeles. Find my asshole, brother. Oh, okay. I thought it was like a Mickey Mouse. Oh no, Mickey Mouse is. Is that an actual lyric from yeah, song? Mickey yeah. Mouse? Well, Bush never finished a song. What they would do is they would just throw together five or six ideas and call it a song. And um, not like that, Elton John. That guy could write a song. Elton John. <laughs> that guy was classic. Yeah, that guy was great. I don't think I know any Elton John songs. Would I know? One. Would I know Actually, an Elton John song? You know there's, there's I can try to jog your memory. There's one. Oliver, like an urchin. Boiny he comes you know that pickpocket, <laughs> that, that well-known, that well-known <laughs> London scamp, Boiny Torpin. I like picturing Elton, hat in hand, knocking on his door to come fetch the lyrics. <laughs> Boiny Torpin, can Boiny come out? <laughs> Boiny, where's my lyrics? It's just like he's there in his typewriter, and then Boiny, he has to be like, "Oh, Boiny Torpin, <laughs> Boiny Torpin, that is some Boiny Torpin." <laughs> you just get <laughs> that's some Boiny Torpin, Boiny Torpin. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah. Let's get this puppy back on the radar. Yeah. How, how do they meet? Anyway, yeah, I like so the idea I, that I have he no just science like... background whatsoever. So, <laughs> question? Yeah. 
Uh, no, I have no science. I'm interested in science. I find it it's very daunting. And uh, you listen to this podcast, from what I've heard. I so love this something. podcast. That's... Yeah, I, I'm a big, big fan of this podcast, especially the derailments. But yeah, no, I, <laughs> I listen to learn. I genuinely listen to learn. Absolutely mm, terrifying. As do our listeners, and some of our listeners also listen to educate us, and they send us in stories. Well, yeah. I think most of our listeners mm. listen to educate us. That's, that's, that's <laughs> yeah, great. <laughs> if, if, I mean, honestly, though, if you've learned something from the show, you're you're dumb, right? You're a dumb person. Doing <laughs> it wrong. Why did you? No, I think people. I mean, firstly, people have pointed out to us more than once. a really long way to be insulted. (laughs) Thousands of miles. No, no, I'm joking. Of course, (laughs) we do have have listeners. I love dropping some knowledge. Uh, and if you want to write to us, by the way, and suggest stories or correct us, uh, you're free to do that at probablyscience at gmail.com or tweet at probablyscience. Um, Bert Anderson sent in a story a few weeks ago. I meant to get to earlier, but. we got caught up with the holidays, as we, we did. Discussed. We got caught up with the holidays. Listener Bert, and this is this is fascinating. He sent a story about a furniture salesman who became a mathematical savant following a brain injury. It's sort of the opposite of the Phineas Gage story we've talked about before about yeah. the old ra- railroad worker back in the 19th century who got um, a railroad spike blasted through his skull and it didn't kill him, but it just took out the part of his brain that didn't make him an asshole, so he just turned into an Although asshole. Although I read, um, I think it was on Slate, they had a piece about Phineas Gage and that story and how. Not a lot of that seemed a little bit bullshitty. Really, like like the Phineas Gage story. Don't take when they sort of went when they went deeper into it. It's that there was actually very little evidence for a massive behavioral change that was, and it's just like the same anecdotes got rehashed again and again in real scientific papers. But there was no, there were no good accounts of what his behavior was like before the spike went through his brain. There were no accurate in his head. I mean, yeah, and there were no hugely accurate accounts either of exactly what this bad behavior afterwards entailed. Right. So it's sort of sloppy reporting. Well, God damn it. If yeah. we can't trust Phineas Gage stories, what can we trust? Mm. That's... However, what happened with this guy? Well, with this guy, um, he uh, is a he was a furniture salesman named Jason Paget. He's still named Jason So Padgett. there's hope for a roommate. Not a... <laughs> I didn't even put that together. Entirely. What if that happened to him? I hurt my head today. <laughs> I, uh, guys, I solved pie. <laughs> he solved pie? Yeah. He solved it. Finally. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, a, it's, it's an equation yeah. you solve. <laughs> ah, I would love for that guy to become a savant. Take it up, take it up, the cello. <laughs> Goodwill Hunting, like as he's naked, sleep eating, he's right. also like writing in food scraps on the window, the right. sliding glass door, Just like, equations. He wakes yeah. up the next morning. To yeah, he's writing in marinara sauce. Coming up with the uh, universal theorem. I've just realized I'm here. I might actually get to meet this guy. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Well, you shouldn't say you know about him because he doesn't know we talk about him on this show. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't. You know what? People listen to this podcast, right? Yeah, but people... I know about this guy. No, you'll, yes, no, you'll uh... get to meet him. He was around earlier with no shirt on. You'll get to meet him with no shirt on. Yeah. <laughs> I've got a horrible feeling that they're going to bring out a basketball with a face drawn on it. Here he is. Oh, that, that's how you find out we're all nuts. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> our roommate. That's yes, our roommate seems very weird. Okay, bye. <laughs> that's cabbage. That's... <laughs> Uh, no, I would, I would love for him to be a savant, man. Oh, yeah, that would be the best. <laughs> just one day, it comes home, one of these rotten oranges hits him on the head in just the right spot. We have an orange tree that doesn't bear edible fruit. It's the craziest house. Yeah. They're poison oranges. Yeah. They're not poisonous. They're just horrible. They're horrible. Uh, anyhow, so this guy, Jason Padgett, was a furniture salesman. He was, this is, uh, let's stop laughing. He was jumped and beaten by two men outside of a bar in 2002. He suffered a severe Thanks. concussion along with both physiologically and psychologically induced post-traumatic stress. 
He acquired obsessive behaviors and anxiety disorders that had never existed before, and then he began to see the world through new eyes. Uh, when Mr. Paget looks at an object today, he sees a collection of lines, angles, and even equations. Immediately after his injury, it was just the first two. He had a sudden, unexpected shift in perception, allowing him to see the first, see for the first time words and phrases written in a language he did not understand. A man with no formal training in mathematics and no post-secondary education at all, he began to express the things he saw around them, around him. But it says them in the old way he knew how visually, though it, he was utterly untrained. Paget's drawings harkened back to mathematician artists like M.C. Escher. He drew extremely complex arrangements of simple geometric shapes. Because that's how he came to see the objects in the real world. Just like naturally, that's how he looked sure. at everything. And uh, his injuries somehow altered his brain so that he saw the simple geometric shapes and structures that made up our world. And um, this could shed some light onto the process of cognition, since we all know on some instinctual level that a nighttime attack is highly unlikely to beat superhuman ability into a brain. Um, rather, perhaps the translation of concrete visual information to abstract perception happens in phases and Paget's brain now stalls or hiccups at a certain point in that progression. So he doesn't mm. see like, he doesn't instantly identify objects as the things they are. He first breaks them down into the lines, shapes, curves Evidently, yeah. that make up an object. I guess the way that a computer would if it were trying to mm. identify an object. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sexist. <laughs> huh? No, no, no. Objectification I'll... of the world, basically. <laughs> <No>. Like <laughs> Uh, Jesse doesn't know that all computers aren't women. Yes. <laughs> no, she she said she loved me. That's not a... <laughs> you typed those words into your computer. <laughs> I suppose I did. Um, that's very interesting. I mean, I, 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 I would assume that... Well, my assumptions are always wrong, but I, w- I would assume that uh, after this, I mean, you know, it says he had some post-traumatic stress, and it seems like the pure anxiety of that... Um, constantly living in that anxiety and ways to quell it, your brain starts doing sort of different things and viewing things differently. But it sounds like this is so extreme. I mean, yeah, it's. I mean, if you if you saw the drawings that he's made, you would sort of be like, this is coming from someone a little bit, maybe not mentally ill, but you know, mentally outside of the norm and not in the way that you would say genius. You would just say like, oh, this looks super obsessive. Outsider art, if it's, you will. Uh, well, yes, in a sense. But it's not done with, like, poop. And again, we'll link to this over on probablyscience.com so you can see some of the drawings that he that he does. So um, silver lining for I mean, our nightly he, uh, neighborhood beatings, Andy. So what are they, what are they saying, <laughs> what are they offering as an explanation for this? Or is it That's just, thing, we is, just don't know? We just don't. I, well, from, he's now, it does say he's now pursuing an advanced degree in number theory. It's a good sequel to Clockwork Orange, though. <laughs> They're not, they're not advocating going out and getting a beat down to try to get smarter, I don't think. Like, there's no way to know that this would happen. I need to know the exact bit of my head to get yeah. punched in. Yeah. I mean, I, like I said, I, I don't know my times tables. I think I could probably be twatted around the head with a frying pan <laughs> <laughs> to know eight times nine. That would be, like, just, just you know. I'm or I could curious. do it on my fingers, I suppose. This is something that we haven't talked about at all before that we should maybe save for a future episode. But um, do you guys know what the, the controversy surrounding Common Core mathematics? Have you heard of that? No. No. Nope. It's a new oh, I style this of was teaching arithmetic. Yeah, yeah the example, I, I've got into two different, not even arguments, but like comment threads on Facebook. There's one specific example that's going around and that someone like, it's it's a very simple subtraction and it's like the old way and it's specifically, it's something like 63 minus 23. Mm-hmm. And it goes the old way, 63 and then 23 underneath minus and... And then it just goes 40 is the answer. Mm-hmm. And then it goes the new way. And the new way is it counts. It, it shows like these boxes where, it's, where it goes 23 
and then the number two, and then it's like 25, and then number five, and 30, then 20 next to it, and then uh, 50, and then 10 next to... Uh, it, it sort of they counts found, up. They found the worst case, though. Or they, yeah, they, and, and all it's doing... these things that... It's really... Like, it took me a second to work out what was going on just looking at it. I was like, oh, all that's happening is it's just making the case that if you're subtracting a, a one number from another, you can either start with a bigger one and count down, or you can start with a smaller one and count up and keep right. a running total, which is how shopkeepers, like people in retail, sure. do it all the time, or bartenders or whatever. That's how they do it all the time. If you get a $20 bill and the and the for an eight ninety six that's how they tab, count back then you, to you. Yeah. yeah, then you mm. you count up to nine dollars, then you count up to ten dollars, then you give ten back, and and you sort of count up to the to-, to the amount of the note. In this particular case, that's completely the wrong way to do it because it's really because the units yeah. match up and it's really simple. But in other cases, it's not. And surely, if you have a teacher who's able to explain that concept, you can count up or count down and pick the best method. That's actually a smart way to teach it. Yeah, and I think everyone who's getting up in arms about it is just people that don't have a great intuitive sense of arithmetic. Like Louis C.K. went on a Twitter tirade about it because his daughter brought home her homework and he was like, this makes no sense. Why are they doing this? And all the internet was like, yeah, he's right. What are they Hmm. trying to do? This is a crazy system. And I realized like, oh no, this stuff... Common Core is actually the thing that I do without even knowing that I do it. Right. And I'm pretty good with math on the fly. Like, just conceptualizing what's close to... like. Basically, if you wanted to just be perfect at all the calculations you do, you could just use a calculator all the time or go to go to long, you know, long division and long multiplication. It's tedious, but like in life, it's more useful to have an actual idea in your head as soon as you see numbers... That's close to what it's going to be. Right. Like even when he said sixteen times fourteen, I just went. Well, I know sixteen times sixteen is two fifty six, and then I know fourteen times two times two is thirty two. Twenty eight. I'm sorry. No, I know. I know. I know. Fourteen is two less than sixteen, so I know I could do two sixteens less than two fifty six. So I could do thirty two less than that, and then add four, and it's two twenty four. And that's that sounds complicated when I'm saying it, but in my head, it's not at all because I just took off two of those sixteens. You know what I mean? Right. And that's yeah. kind of what it's doing. And if your brain doesn't work that way, you're like, this is ludicrous. Like, no, but if kids actually learn that way, they'll be better suited to do math but, than you, but, the parent, who probably isn't that well but suited to do But I think what it, that what it relies on and what any of these things rely on is a teacher who is able to get across an actual understanding of what's happening right. rather than just teaching them. Like, we, when we're kids in school, we're taught just one... It's an algorithm. All you're doing is yeah. teaching them, like, mm, a process yeah. just... When you get when you get this puzzle, you put that number there. You put that number there, and you and do plug this and to chug. that. You just plug and chug. Yeah, and this is the plug answer. and chug, man. <laughs> and now, and and this way, they're just teaching them a different algorithm that does a different thing. I, but it's a better one to have in your brain to use throughout your life. Quite possibly, yeah. And but uh, well, that's why a lot of people are up in arms about it because they're looking at it, going, "What are they doing here? Oh, it's just it's just another." Dumb is, method for working out the same thing. that people have armed themselves about this. <laughs> the, 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 people are up in arms, People man. take things very seriously. bought automatic weapons. They bought, <laughs> they bought AR-15s, and they're doing this now. But no, literally, I, I think it's a case of so many adults don't have a good grasp of arithmetic. That mm-hmm. Those are the people who are, the, who are getting angry only because they're being taught a different way. It's like, well, guess what? Maybe the way you were taught wasn't that good because you're not that good at arithmetic. Yeah, I, like, I, would, say, I would agree with that. I think if they, if they found it, because we were basically sort of taught it parrot fashion weren't we like right. arithmetic as something uh if there's a way of learning as sort of a more organic a more organic way in the same way that language is taught and the same way that grammar is taught yeah um 
that seems that seems great. I mean, I, I've not seen any of this thing, but I think if there's a, <clears throat> a way of teaching you that isn't just rote, like like it, that, that seems like a much more. But that also gives idea. you like a conceptual view of what numbers mm. are. I think anything that does that is better for your your life. Yeah, like, the ability to make quick estimations, I think, mm. is a, one of the most valuable skills in any kind of work in all of life. Yeah, and it's not I'm something pretty. that's ever Sorry. taught. <laughs> But literally, a more I useful skill than being able to do accurate calculations when you, with a pen and paper is being able to do quick, pretty good estimations on the mm. fly. Like I, I bet in most businesses, people that do that well and without having to spend time on it do Just very know. well. That's negotiations. about 20,000. Yeah. That works out at around 20,000 yeah. rather than... Well, it's like constantly doing the exchange rate in your head when you're somewhere far and you... you uh, yeah, and what I... That's, you I, have a vague ballpark of what the exchange yeah, is. Yeah, and, and I, that's to. what I normally do when I go away. If I, mm. it, I'm converting back to either pounds or dollars in my head, but I'm like, oh, you... It's it's half, but then a bit more. Yeah. See, like I if it's point six or whatever. Yeah, like you at said, the moment, the exchange rate is kind of two-thirds of a... a yeah. The dollar to a pound is kind of two-thirds of what it would be. Yeah, so you have a few sort of ballparks of in your head. Yeah. So you sort of go, okay, well, then if it's roughly that, then 20 pounds is about $30. Yeah. I do everything in rupees, which is weird, because I'm still just... And then I have to convert to rupees and then back again. Back again to dollars. Even when you go to dollars... Yeah, when you just go to dollars in a... I know. When you're going paying in America with American money. Now, Matt, you said you've uh, you've gotten into some some arguments about this Common Core thing, huh? I I, I got into discussions. They didn't. I'm not sure they turned heated. Were they, you... These weren't heated arguments. These weren't big. big I arguments? mean, I've been in heated arguments. You've been in heated right? arguments for like, Sarah. You ever been in a big big argument? Or? No, don't. I mean, you know, just standard, I mean, standard, 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 normal, usual. Discourse. Would you guys know like that, lukewarm um, arguments? Like, lukewarm. Yeah. yeah. Did you guys know that um, <clears throat> uh, three year olds actually show greater <laughs> suspicion of circular arguments than adults? Really? Really? Ah. Yeah, it turns out children are as gullible as you might think, much to the chagrin of my Uncle Randy. Um, <laughs> early, early in life... They dis- shag what? <laughs> early in life, they display a discernment that psych- uh, psychologists call epistemic vigilance. Epistemic vigilance. Epistemic vigilance. This is a story sent in by Ben Wren. Thank you, Ben Wren. Yeah, they're more likely to trust information from experts compared with novices and from kind people rather than meanies (laughs) and from from those they are familiar with as opposed to strangers. Now a study shows that even by age three, children are skeptical about circular arguments, in some cases even more than adults. um, Hugo Mercier... Uh, and his team presented 84 children, aged 3 to 5, in a control group of adults with three illustrated vignettes in which a girl was looking for her dog. All right? So for each story, each one of these vignettes, one character advised the girl of the dog's whereabouts with an argument based on what they'd seen. Like, uh, the dog went this way because I've seen him go in that direction. And that's known as an argument from perception. Uh, these were all spoken in a neutral voice, played through speakers. A second character said the dog had gone in the other direction and gave a circular argument. The dog went this way because he went in this direction. <coughs> that was also through the speakers. Children from age three and up and the adults more often chose to believe the character who based their testimony on what they'd uh, seen rather than on a circular argument. Okay, so one of them goes, uh, because I've seen him go in this direction. The other one said the dog went this way because he went this because way. Because he went this way. Okay. Um, so the three-year-olds are like, nope, that's, that's not, that's bullshit, right? And this supports the, the idea that children from three and upwards have epistemic vigilance. These results point to the existence of basic skills of argument evaluation that children would possess from at least three years of age onward, the researchers said. So this is something that stays with you for life, I presume. What would ever change? Well, it's interesting you guys bring that up. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because there's a uh, a developmental trend uh, was for the older children to grow more consistent in their preferences. And that is, as the children got older, 
They more often favored each, um, either the argument from one perception on every occasion or, in a minority of cases, they favored the circular argument on every occasion. Focusing on just those uh, participants who always made the same choice, an intriguing pattern emerged. And guys, this is intriguing. Mm. I'm intrigued. No, this is going to intrigue the fuck out of everybody. (laughs) A minority of the... You're going to be so fucking intrigued. (laughs) Are you ready to be intrigued? (laughs) I am literally intrigued. Yeah, this is intriguing as balls. A minority of the four and five-year-olds and adults always favor the circular arguments, but none of the three-year-olds show this pattern. So in a sense then, some older children and adults were less sophisticated in their judgment of arguments than the three-year-olds. So it's not the majority, but there is a, a still present minority of those slightly older children and adults who always like the totally illogical arguments. But that never happens with the three-year-olds. The three-year-olds are always vigilant three year always able to see through the bullshit. Or at least, or at least if they're not always vigilant, open-minded. they're not always, they don't go always for the circular argument. Okay. They're more, their results hmm. are more there's straight. A lot of, there's a lot of confusing sums, sometimes isn't always. Yeah, I'd like is. to I see. But, uh, That's the problem with reading the article about the paper rather than the paper, but then we always get but confused then if we read the, the paper, paper, we don't understand. We don't understand. The gist of it is somehow the three-year-olds are sort of more immune to the... Uh, the, the so, temptations of a circular argument than the four and five-year-olds and then adults. And this article goes on to say, how could this be? Mercia and his team think that as they get older, some children and adults become dependent on a rule of thumb that mistakes circular arguments for signs of dominance or authority. Ooh, there it is. When a person says that dog went this way because he went in this direction, this is interpreted as equivalent to an authoritative person saying, this is the case because I say so. Right, mm. right. Wow. So they tested this idea. To test this idea, the same children were tested on a similar task to before, but this this time one character used a circular argument for a cat's location, while the other character provided no argument, i.e. they just said, the cat went this way. Preference for circular arguments would be evidence that they are interpreted as having a value beyond no argument at all. In this case, three-year-olds were equally likely to trust either form of advice, while a large number of four- and five-year-olds consistently chose to trust the circular arguments. That is, older children, but not the three-year-olds, saw more value in a circular argument than in no argument at all. Hmm. So someone going, the cat went this way because he went this way, carries more weight than going, the cat went, uh, the this, cat way. went this way. I'm not even sure if there, hmm. there is... A, uh. Hmm. Just saying the cat went this way isn't an argument. That's just stating a fact. That's true. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. No, I get it. I get it. You know, well, no, I'm agreeing with you, Andy. Yeah, I yeah. think, I think, like, this is it's sort of a. Uh, I'm halfway through this book called Thinking Fast and Slow. Have any of you guys read that book? No, I've only read the fast bit of it so far. <laughs> <laughs> how fascinating! It's it's about how uh, there are sort of two distinct systems in our brain that work differently. There's one that makes the quick, um, that that basically is our gut instinct on everything. Sure. And then there's the system we have to deliberately engage to process things and make a, a calculated decision on something. And like in a lot of cases, we don't. If a question is difficult, there's an actual cost to cognitively processing something. Like it's not just like the reason you put off a task that's only a mental task. You're like, why would I put this off? It's not hard. I'm not like lifting rocks or something. But it, there actually is a a cost in engaging that secondary processing part of your brain like a, a cost to resources to like glucose yeah uh that actually does drain you like there's a reason like they've done studies where uh judges that are doing parole hearings they'll give more they'll grant more paroles right after a meal break and as the time from the food increases they do fewer and fewer 
paroles. They just say no, 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 because it's easier than having to think through this nuanced process and grant them. Anyway. Wow. So there's a taxation on, on your brain, on your resources, mm. to do a complicated calculation of something. So in a lot of cases, instead of d- answering a difficult question, we'll just replace that question with a simpler question. Like, instead of trying to a- answer the question of, like, do I want to buy this car? You'll just say, do I like the color black? <laughs> yes, I like the I can answer that question. And I believe that's what heuristics refers to. And this is sort of a similar thing. Like, instead of... Uh, Instead of like analyzing the argument, you just either analyze the person, like that's sort of the halo effect. You decide I trust this person, therefore I will just believe what they say, rather right. than actually taking the time to try to process. Is this a logical argument? You'll just say it's easier to say, do I trust this person? Well, objectivity is exhausting. Yeah, it's really exhausting. It is taking yeah. everything. It's just literally it's exhausting. It's literally to, to process everything. Like to take a conscious effort to stop what you're doing and not just go with your gut and make a choice about something. That's why I always, if I have any big decisions to make, I entrust it to a three-year-old. <laughs> That's right. Three-year-old they don't the, worry about that stuff. They, they make just, the best yep. choices. I think we've evaluated from they, this. They yep. ignore all authority. They, they don't do. formulate those. You ideas. have only been eating ice cream sandwiches for two weeks. I've been meaning to, <laughs> meaning to talk to you. Your skin, have. Your skin's also, looking a little rough. And also, I don't go to bed. No. I do not go to bed. I don't see why I should have to go to bed. Why should you have to? Exactly. You have a propeller hat, <laughs> a lovely propeller hat. And um, I saw him pushing a hoop down a street with a stick. It's a three-year-old from the 1940s. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that had I, to found, be fun, I keep though. a three-year-old, a 1940s three-year-old in stasis. He badgered me for a hay penny. I don't even know what that is. I, I never got an opportunity to do I that. Push a, <laughs> push a hoop down a street. You know? What, but, what if that came back? I think I would have liked it. What if that becomes like a retro? Well, yeah, the way people are going to raise their kids. <laughs> no, yeah. Waxed mustaches and overalls, like people are going to start doing hoop and a stick. As or well. just like, like that's the super hipster way to get to work. Yeah, <laughs> like, that's yeah. my transport. Well, it's, such a Mumf- it's such a Mumford and Sons kind of like. Yeah. Uh, well, there are. Time. I mean, this is weird, man. I mean, there are like uh, hipster child, like hipster toddler uh, cloffiers, you know, like, like you'll you'll find these clothing stores where it's like. Make your kid look like a little Nikolai Tesla, and it's like your kid's gonna, your kid's gonna hate you. It's gonna hate you. Make him look like he's about to sell you the New York Times in the yeah. <laughs> right because they don't, they don't get the irony. Or like, st- same with like toys. Like, buy your kids some 1920s uh, toys, and it's like, well, like they don't, they do kind of want the new Lego thing. Like, yeah, they, that's yeah. what they want. No, they want a tin monkey. <laughs> <laughs> Kids, yeah, <laughs> nothing children. A horrifying tin monkey that's gonna haunt your dreams. Some kind of, yeah, right. Some kind of haunted clockwork. <laughs> Did any of you guys have one of the monkeys that his eyes would go big and he would clang the things together like the Stephen King? Did you guys? Yeah, have British. Yeah. Yeah. No, seriously. Did any of you yeah. guys have? Yeah. yeah. We had one of those in my house. Yeah. Horrifying. Brutal. Like, there's no age group that's appropriate for. <laughs> no. There's nobody that's for. Oh, uh, I had some. I had some terrifying toys. You know what's weird is I had. Um, uh, we didn't have a ton of money growing up, you know. Uh, I'm not. I'm not falling on a sword about it. I'm just saying we didn't. So I had. Well, we uh, couldn't afford a sword. I know. <laughs> no. Well, my family did. We had tons of very nice, money. very nice swords. <laughs> that was a, with hindsight. That was a mistake. It was. A, it was <laughs> investing all the it was family funds in my, swords. My dad did about once a week buy a broadsword, and I. I uh, it was always bejeweled, and I think yeah. In hindsight, that probably is why there wasn't much money around. <laughs> But um, but they never lost a joust. No, my family <laughs> never. No, the the, the Cage family they never lost tourneys. <laughs> um, but I had uh, they weren't terrifying to me, of course. But I had stuffed animals, and I had this one uh, stuffed teddy bear named Barney. But we we had um, 
uh, you know, we had a dog. We had this dog that would chew everything, right? And chew the eyes off the bear. So so the dog chewed the eye off the bear. And instead of getting a new bear, my mom just sewed on an eye patch. Right? Like you do. So then I had a teddy bear with an eye patch. And then the dog chewed off the other eye. So it had two eye patches. And eventually it had shit like just a cork shoved in one of its arms. And just had this like fucked up. Why are you dressing the wounds of a non-living thing? Like what? It's going to bleed out. It had like a spring for a leg. Just a brutal, terrifying Victorian. Stuffed prosthesis. It makes no sense. It's like one of those like like serial killer taxidermist projects. It had a bird head attached to it. Like it was awful, man. Yeah, it's like Toy Story three. That yeah, the, uh, yeah, the the the, ba- the horrifying baby. But that, all uh, my toys were like that. I had <laughs> I had a um a Superman with like a bit of a bit of like pantyhose for a cape because its cape got lost. So it had like my mom just sort of sewed on some some weird pantyhose. It's terrible. All my favorite toys were like kind of bootleg like that. That's amazing. <laughs> Now, if you kept those, you could sell them back to hipsters at like 10 yeah, times that's the price. Right. That's so yeah. Etsy. That's the most Etsy. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's like Superman, but it's got like pantyhose on it and stuff. Yeah. A double <laughs> iPad. <laughs> yeah. I'm serious. Point is make them sunglasses. Just give your stuff to animals. Color them in black and put like put arms no, around the side. We had yeah. this dog named Becky that would really screw up all my toys, right? So I mean, we'd have messed up stuff. I had action figures with peg legs, like little popsicle sticks. I had little, you know, GI Joes with peg legs. That's incredible. I don't know why. We, yeah, I'm just Speaking throwing out and get a new day. toy. Speaking I want, of, I want pictures of that. I want. I'll get my mom to send me some some pictures of that. Nice. <laughs> um, this is a story. Ben, who sent in the previous story, um, as well as listener Will O'Meara, and I think a couple of other people, but I'm sorry I can't find the names immediately, all sent in uh, versions of this same story about matter possibly about to be created from light, which is something that is known theoretically to be possible, that E equals MC squared, light and energy, sorry, energy and mass are the same, the two sides of the same coin, they're related by, in the proportion of the speed of light squared, and we can definitely make energy from mass that's what nuclear power is Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but researchers um at imperial college london i believe it is have have worked out how to make matter from pure light and are drawing up plans to demonstrate the feat within the next 12 months the theory underpinning the idea was first described 80 years ago by the two physicists who later worked on the first atomic bomb doesn't say who they are oh gregory Brake and john wheeler Wheeler, in 1934 And And they did this over several cups of coffee. They did. Which is important to note. It is. Are we reading different articles? (laughs) Yeah, probably. (laughs) Quite probably. No. There's there's an article in The Guardian that's that's about it, and there's also an article in fizz.org. I'm doing the .org. And there's a... Are you doing Guardian? Uh, Yeah, I'm doing Guardian. Yeah. Well... Oh, I see coffee. Yeah, there we go. Yep. In just one day over several cups of coffee in a tiny office at Imperial's Blackett Physics Lab. Yeah, so a little more flourish on the yeah. fizz.org. Oh, these are the these are the new physicists. These are the modern era physicists who are drinking the coffee. This was Brayton no, Wheeler. Was, this say, no, this they were probably more likely to be drinking tea back in that time. Yeah. I feel like it was Brayton Wheeler that had the college. Either way, here's what <laughs> here's how they do it. I'm switching back to the Guardian article again now. All right, sounds like a better one. Uh, so they've shown in a report published last Sunday. It would have been two Sundays ago now. Physicists at Imperial College claim to have cracked the problem using high-powered lasers and other equipment now available to scientists. So this equipment wasn't available at the time. They've shown in principle how you can make matter from light. 
If you do this experiment, you will be taking light and turning it into matter, he said, basically saying the same thing he did in the previous sentence. <laughs> Don't, he's, yeah, have a go at the man who can turn light into matter. <laughs> I'm just saying he's what a better idiot. scientist than he is orator. That's <laughs> Yeah. Common. The science- he had a word count he had to reach in this paper. <laughs> double-spaced. And this career. is why I think this experiment yeah. will work. <laughs> Screw Flanders. Well. <laughs> Uh, so the original two US physicists Gregory and John oh so it probably would have been coffee it would have been coffee they were American physicists in 1934 they worked out that it was important to the story they worked out that very rarely two particles of light or photons could combine to produce an electron and its antimatter equivalent a positron electrons are particles of matter that form the outer shells of atoms in the everyday objects around us but they had no expectations that a theory would be proved anytime soon in their study, the physicist notes that the process was so rare and hard to produce, it would be hopeless to try to observe the pair formation in laboratory experiments. But that that was then. This is now. This is right now. Right now. Writing in the journal Nature Photonics, which is one of the best journals to be publishing this kind of thing. I agree. The last 10 years, yeah. It's no, one I, of the leading photonics journals. I Easily my top five um, photonics, yeah. The scientists describe how they could turn light into matter through a number of separate steps. I think the Guardian journalist is actually the one trying to hit a word <laughs> count here. There's a lot of repetition in here. And, the and first coffee. step, yeah, the first step fires electrons at a slab of gold to produce a, ty- a beam of high energy photons. Next, they fire a high energy laser into a tiny gold capsule called a Hohlraum, Hohlraum, which is from the German for empty room. This produces light as bright as that emitted from stars. In the final stage, they send the first beam of photons into the hull room, where the two streams of photons collide. That's considered the encore stage. Yeah. That's like the applause break stage. They bring him back out, right? The, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <I> don't know. <laughs> the scientists' calculations show that the setup squeezes enough particles of light with high enough energies into a small enough volume to create around 100,000 electron-positron pairs. This process is one of the most spectacular predictions of a theory called quantum electrodynamics that was developed in the run-up to the Second World War. Uh, You might call it the most dramatic consequence of QED, says Rose, who's one of the scientists, and it clearly shows that light and matter are interchangeable. They hope to demonstrate the process in the next 12 months. There are a number of sites around the world that have the technology. One is the huge Omega laser in Rochester, New York. Don't name a laser that. <laughs> Way too evil. Supervillainy, isn't it? Yeah. Don't name it the Omega laser. What's wrong with you? The laser to end all lasers. Right. How do you get funding for that? Yeah. Well, the other one, the other one is in Aldermaston, the atomic weapons facility in Berkshire, and that's just called Mrs. Laser. See, the friendly <laughs> Lovely. cook. Lovely. It's also, I mean, that's it's also called the Orion laser. <laughs> Ugh. A successful demonstration will encourage physicists who have been eyeing the prospect of a photon-photon collider as a tool to study how subatomic particles behave. It can be used to study fundamental physics with a very clean experiment setup. Pure light goes in, matter comes out. The experiment will be the first demonstration of this, Pike says. Wow. And then Andre Serrier, who's director of the John Adams Institute at Oxford University, gets a bit hippie at the end of this article. Sure. Because, uh, it's breathtaking to think that things we thought are not connected, can in fact be converted to each other. Matter and energy, particles and light. Would we be able in the future to convert energy into time and vice versa? What? Ends on a question mark. And then he did some fire poi and walked guys. down the <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but conver- converting energy into time, who knows? 
We did some popping and locking, and uh, yeah, Moon walked out of the room. Uh, uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, to discuss our discovery here today at the press conference, I'd like to introduce my good friend Moby. <laughs> <laughs> Um, We're all made of stars. You guys. <laughs> <laughs> Remember when that song came out when he would do press for it? I mean, I guess technically he's right, but like, that was also one of the first lines of the original Cosmos, the Carl Sagan version. We're oh, all, okay. we are all star stuff. Yeah, that's true. But that's he didn't true. have the beat. Yeah, <laughs> we are all made of stars. You need that big beat. Um, I guess I never knew uh, that, that nobody had successfully. Am I just like an idiot right now? I didn't realize. I, I figured on some small scale, someone had already done this. I, I didn't realize it I wasn't. Didn't realize that because no. I, I I thought it was a fairly continuous process. I'm sure in the universe as a whole, that is a, something that is constantly happening. I'm sure, like the middle of it, like the uh, like as in stars or whatever, uh-huh. because they are like matter and light are the same thing, right? Like, we know that as of Einstein a while ago. We know that because someone told us that it is that way because it yeah. is that way. And because we're not ah. three-year-olds, we trusted well, yeah. them when they said We're not that. three-year-olds. Yeah. 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 I mean, I've seen some equations that go yeah. some way to back they it up. legit, yeah. I've seen, I've, seen a picture of an, I've seen a picture of an atomic bomb going off that <laughs> seems to suggest that. That means that's happening, yeah. You guys, uh, uh, have we had Nate Bargatze on? No. Would he be not, a good foil? Well, no, 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 I just mean his his joke about like science, one of the best jokes I've ever heard, his bit about like he's like um <coughs> he basically just says he doesn't really like believe in science cuz he's like these scientists just said uh cockroaches are 350 million years old and he's like are they or do you just know I have no way of finding that out? <laughs> <laughs> like there's like I've absolutely nothing. I have no way to disprove that. It's just like all right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, that's sort of, I mean obviously he doesn't really believe he doesn't really not believe science because he can't firsthand disprove it but that's like that's that's the argument that everybody who's anti-science uses kind of it's like well we're just taking this on faith the way the same way we take the bible on faith someone wrote it down we're believing it it's like well but at a certain point you have to trust that there's enough people involved in something who you trust that that you trust that the people that they trust to do things are doing things the right way right the people that wrote this study down weren't known schizophrenics 400 years (laughs) after the subject died that's so probably whoa we're getting is that, is that historic? Is that biblical history? Is one of the gospel writers meant known to be John was uh, John was schizophrenic for sure. What do you mean for sure? Come on, <laughs> for sure. For, how do you what, know for what, sure? What, what a scientist at the time wrote it down. <laughs> what is That's the evidence for Fair this? Enough. Yeah, what it's it, some bullshit I read somewhere. <laughs> you know, I can't back that up right now. See, this, I don't this, have this, it works if you interrogate the evidence. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, it turns you know, out it's just something he reckons. <laughs> no, it's not something I reckon. There's no Snopes for two thousand years ago. Yeah. No, and if and and actually, I've only been wrong. I'd say about seventeen or eighteen things on this show. So I would say that, you know, really, um, no. But I, I thought the I. I'm pretty sure the Gospels were written way after the death of Jesus, correct? I don't know. Just, yeah, I've heard so many conflicting that, things. Uh, yeah, no, I'm serious. Yeah. Like 400 or 500 years later or something were when they were even written. Sure. So, so I mean, <laughs> I the, the telephone game by then. I mean, even you don't even have to resort to... If that's your only argument against taking these things as scientific fact, like you can go a lot easier... There, with an argument than that, I think. There is a story, sure. just, this is sort of connected <laughs> yeah. Yeah, on, yeah. on this same subject. This is another story, the other story that was sent in by Will Amira, and it's related to a recent letter in physic, uh, a recent study published in Physical Review Letters. It's my favorite physical review <laughs> Again, uh, publication. But apparently we don't actually know how static electricity works. What? <laughs> I know, I've heard that. So this is, I remember in physics lessons being taught that like you rub a balloon on on your 
sweater or whatever, and, and, and science happens. it knocks some electrons from one to the other, from one material to the other, mm-hmm. and it leaves one object positively charged and another object negatively charged, and then you hold it next to your hair or whatever, and that polarizes, it makes the... St- it, it repels the electrons on the hair, mm-hmm. and it makes one. It makes the hair be the opposite charge to whatever the balloon is, and it they're attracted. Yeah. Sure. Um, so that physic for years, physicists have suggested that this works when the two objects are of different sizes, so that more electrons are rubbed off the smaller object onto the bigger one. But the theory doesn't hold up. I never knew that was the reason. <laughs> One's bigger than the other. That's crazy. Uh, yeah, that's kind of weird because I, I thought it was different materials had different properties. I remember we had like yeah. a stick of amber that we rubbed with a cloth with, and then a stick of like, perspex or something. And there was always like a, a piece of fur that was involved, right? Yeah. Like rubbing a f- piece of fur against a glass prism or something. Like, yeah. I think, yeah, you, you, I mean, you clearly had some classy lessons yeah. going on. <laughs> like a mink stole. Oh my. Yeah. <laughs> had a weird new age teacher. Yeah. Now we're going to take the crystals. All right, and... now class. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, I think our listeners know by now. I mean, we mentioned on the show yet how Andy learned uh, science in a medieval castle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, did. Dame Judy Dench taught me. I don't know right. why that was. Yeah, it was between alchemy and lunch. <laughs> so, in this study, um, scrutinizing tiny grains of a material called zirconium dioxide silicate, and they deserve scrutinization. I've I've often said that about yeah. that. Yeah. This team, they got a, they just get they just get a pass for some reason. This team, led by Heinrich Jaeger at the University of Chicago, mixed two grains of the material in two different sizes. The larger grains were negatively charged, and the small ones positively so. So far, so good. But then, science reporter Adrian Cho describes what happens when researchers try to count the number of tracked electrons on the surface of these grains. They gently heated fresh grains to liberate the trapped electrons and let them relax back into less energetic states. An electron undergoes such a, as an electron undergoes such a transition, it emits a photon. So, by counting photons, the researchers could tally the trapped electrons. It's pretty amazing to me that they can count every electron in a particle, says Chimbrot. Well, but as long did. as no one walks in the room and starts yelling Shimbrot. out random numbers, then they have to start over at one again. Like, sure. That's the worst oh! when some teaching assistant is like... <laughs> the theoretical physicists fucking yeah. with experimental ones. Yeah. I know. <laughs> the tally showed that the beads start, start out with far too few trapped electrons to explain the static buildup, according to uh, Jaeger. In fact, even if the researchers try to make trapped electrons boil up to the surface by exposing the grains to light... The density of trapped electrons remains less than one one hundred thousandth of what would be needed to explain the effect. Whoa, that's a pretty big difference. So, yeah, so if it couldn't be the electrons, what could it be? Scientists speculate that the charges could come from ions of water molecules that coat the grains, or perhaps the transfer of actual zirconium dioxide silicate molecules between the grains. Um, A 2011 paper had suggested that static electricity between two different materials also involves the transfer of molecules rather than just electrons. So the whole molecule. Whatever it is, in this article in Gizmodo, it seems like a simple transfer of electrons isn't the full answer. Your physics teacher wasn't lying to you. Scientists don't know either. And this how is, could it not be about the transfer of electrons? If I don't it know. is electricity, how could it not well, be so that? That's not but all it might it is. But, but there aren't there just aren't enough electrons being physically transferred what to, to what explain does this the charge. Mean? This is going to be something that it's going to be refuted in a couple Imagine of weeks, if right? that's how we discovered God exists. Yeah. <laughs> From kids rubbing <laughs> balloons on their heads at parties. Electricity is <laughs> the one thing we can't explain. Oh, this is, this is the thread that unravels the whole hey, thing. Hey, then explain magnets. 
Yeah, when, well, when they explain that magnets. the ICP <laughs> thing? Insane Clown Posse yeah. taught us that you can't. You can't explain magnets. Fucking how do they work? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Wow. No, but seriously, electricity without transfer of electrons. Well, or, the, the, it would be... It's more than just the transfer. It's more than just simple transfer of electrons between the two properties. Mm. Because not enough electrons are being moved to to. What else could it possibly? I don't even know what to say about this because it's like it's totally counter. To we have any material scientists or yeah? If anybody, this, electromagnetic is, this is a perfect experts. opportunity to just throw this one to the listeners and say, does anybody know about this? Is this going to be refuted next week? Because it doesn't make any sense to me, and I don't even know what to say about it now. Have you guys ever? Here's a good question: Did you guys all grow up in towns that had hands-on museums for children? Yes, you did. Um, I mean, London has. Yeah, like if you go in, if you go into central London, then there's the launch pad, the launch pad section of the science museum, which was the kids get to play with things section. What sort of which stuff? Which is where I broke there? my teeth. Oh, yeah, it's so <laughs> it's what happened? <laughs> have you told that on the on the podcast? I don't think I've told it on the podcast. I told it on t- I've told it on TV, but they they have this um this turntable and it demonstrates it then demonstrates conservation of moments of inertia of rotational mm-hmm. inertia. This is how you. Oh That's, my God. and it's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, and it's basically this turntable. You, you, you stand on, you hold the handle, and you spin around. Sure. And as you lean out, you slow down. And as you lean in, you speed up again. And, uh, and you it, scream if you want to go faster. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's it's now, because uh, I revisited the museum recently, it's now padded. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it wasn't in the late 80s, early 90s. I can't remember how old I was when I did it. Probably late 80s. It wasn't a padded handle, and I whacked my teeth on it. <laughs> wow. it. Because you tried to bring it in so quickly to make I yourself speed up. I brought it in up. too fast. I tried to. I just brought it in too fast, and then I had to go to a different bit of the launch pad section where they had a one-way mirror demonstration to look at the reflection to see where I broke <laughs> my teeth. Wow! I like that you were so happy while you were on the spinny thing. Is <laughs> yeah, I just had a big grin on my face <laughs> because it's really fun. You know, you go around if you've. A, it's the same way um, ice figure skaters, ice skaters. When they they do the move, I don't know what the two ones an axle and what no is it whatever it the spinny the thing. spinny, spinny thing. thing they they do the two spinny the non jumpy spinny things and one sure, of them's with their legs axles? with their legs stuck out and it's a yeah. slower one and then they move their leg in and they spin, speed quicker yeah and it's because you've got the same amount of momentum of rotational momentum uh, at any one time but when a lot of your mass is away from the cent- from the center it's doing more work to go around and then once it's brought in it has to do less work so the same amount of momentum, you go quicker. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's what's happening, and that's being demonstrated in this very fun exhibit, mm-hmm. which is why the bottom half of my front tooth is fake now. <laughs> or one of the four reasons, because I have broken my teeth on four occasions. <laughs> it's, wow. It's one of the many times that that's happened. But the first time, that was the first time I did it. You never forget the first time you smash your own face <laughs> no, off. Momentum is very, uh, it's a very interesting concept to me. Do you guys know where momentum is pretty important? Where is it important? When you're about to uh, jizz in something. Oh, okay. Okay. All right. You got some science coming up here, it sounds like. Yeah. Something really scientific. It sounds, uh, yeah. You, you, Jesse doesn't pull out the technical terms for no reason. No. <laughs> nope. No, I don't. I don't don't uh, you say pull out. <laughs> uh, did you guys know that um, scientists have identified a long-sought fertility protein that allows sperm to dock to the surface of an egg? Oh, really? They have. And it's, it's a pretty important finding because it, um, it's a step in understanding the process that enables conception. It could eventually spawn new forms of birth control and treatments for infertility. Um. Long-time listeners know we are fascinated with new advances in uh, birth control on this show. <laughs> oh, oh, speaking of which, we'll get onto it in a second, but remind me to... 
Uh, we'll remind you to. Remind me to talk about the Vaser Gel thing oh, which we talked about before. There was an update to that because I'm on their this mailing the list. birth control thing, yeah, where you can oh. just inject a thing into your vast stuff. Yeah, yeah, we've and, talked uh, about that, yeah. Wow. And you'll be uh, shooting blanks for 10 years or something, right? Was wow. The pitch. Well, um, you know, this is a very important finding because uh, now we know, we know two of the proteins that are responsible for the binding uh, of sperm to the egg. Says Paul Wasserman, a biochemist and developmental biologist at the Icahn School of Medicine at Mount Sinai in New York. Um, so this work was published in Nature. It was led by Gavin Wright, who's a biochemist at um, the Wellcome Trust Sanger Institute in Hingston, UK. Um, I don't even know where Hingston is. And I've Hingston? Tra- yeah. H-I-N-X-T-O-N. Where is that? Well, I've he- traveled. I thought I traveled pretty much everywhere in Britain doing shows. I'm sure there's that. a shitty one-nighter in Hingston. Oh, it's near Cambridge. I would love to hear a British version of the Johnny Cash song, I've Been Everywhere, <laughs> <laughs> but just listing, like, right. <laughs> 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 Slap Salisbury, Nottingham, uh, <laughs> uh, Dingleton, Flops Nort, Flops Greater Bush. I was toting my guitar along the dusty Gloucester Road. And, uh, um, well, he and his team uh, were looking for a counterpart to a protein called Izumo One. Discovered in 2005 on the surface of sperm cells. Scientists knew that Izumo-1 allowed sperm to join to an egg to begin the process of fertilization, but nobody knew what protein on the surface of the egg attached to Izumo-1. Pretty important to figure that out, right? So identifying the proteins involved in the joining step has been difficult because the molecules tend to bind quite weakly to each other. So Wright and his team devised a way to cluster Izumo-1 proteins, then search for the egg cell proteins that would bind to the clusters in cell culture. Uh, Wright compares the technique to constructing a Velcro fastener out of many individual fabric loops. Each each small hook adheres weakly, but when clustered in an array, even the most fleeting interactions are stabilized and can therefore be detected. Well, this guy's going to be awesome at explaining this to his kids, how this works. <laughs> Mommy and Daddy love each other very much. <laughs> yeah, for the talk. You know how right. you get your trainers on. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, um, well, well mummy and daddy have a special cuddle and then the protein loops <laughs> of the protein Izumo 1 well using this method uh, the team hooked a protein called folate receptor 4 that is found on the surface of the mouse egg cell and Wright's team proposed renaming the egg protein protein not protein but it poutine. could be that's sure. in Canada no yeah. it's protein yeah. yeah delicious um, it's when you cover it in gravy yeah <laughs> that's what this is all about man um, renaming the egg protein Juno after the Roman goddess of fertility and marriage not after the worst written movie of all time not after it's that not one the worst not written movie of all time uh, not after a somewhat come on decent, home slice come on uh, home, or home skillet What's not the, naming uh, it after a somewhat decent starter synthesizer from, yeah. uh, from Yamaha uh, no it's Roland <laughs> Roland did the Juno god okay. damn it no one fact check me on that it's Roland and I know it. Uh, the Roman goddess of fertility and marriage. Sounds I, like you don't know. Hey! Wow. That's, that's lesson number eight from the British calendar. <laughs> wow. Well, that would work if we were talking about judo, but uh, being talking about Juno, your pun falls apart. I'm sorry, Sarah. Please get up and leave. That's American county rule number nine is tear apart the semantics of a joke. <laughs> um, so... Uh, the team found that Juno also exists in mammals, including humans, and that without it, human eggs and sperm cannot fuse. They also found that female mice lacking Juno are healthy but unable to reproduce. This makes the juno Izumo one partnership the first discovered in any organism to be essential to reproduction, the researchers say. 
and uh, also, I guess, the company that's going to make all the ships in Alien. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a Juno Izumo. Um, I'm not sure I totally understand this. Well, there's, there's the egg surface, and then there's the sperm cell surface, but even those are still have to have proteins on them. They still have to have things to connect, because they're not completely... Okay. You know what I mean? I like, there still has to... Even on, a, even on a smaller than cellular level, there has to be stuff that can attract them. Yeah. I guess I'm just picturing like, you know, the classroom videos you see of just the sperm like wiggling its way into sure. the... But, I mean, this is obviously on a level. It's orders of magnitude below that, even. Yes. So it's not about like the macro of the sperm fighting its way into... Yeah, egg. it's about why they even are able to interact at all, sort of. Yeah, yeah I mean, the, the findings could be used uh, right away in fertility treatment. So women who are having trouble conceiving could be tested to find whether they have missing or defective Juno proteins. Okay. And if they do, they could try intracytoplasm sperm injection, in, which a, sing- <laughs> in which a single sperm cell is injected into an egg. Uh, but the number of women who could benefit is unknown because Juno has not yet been studied in connection with fertility. Um, The discovery also points to potential ways to block the fusion of sperm and egg to prevent pregnancy. Scientists can now study the structure of the Juno-Izumo-1 complex and perhaps develop a new class of contraceptive drugs that interfere with this junction. So, you know, Mm. exciting stuff. And as always, the comments are hilarious. And (laughs) we will publish that on our our website. um, Hey, Sarah, do you have a website? I don't know. You don't seem to have a website. Like, no, I'm, you got you, know you got what? the Twitter. I've got the Twitter. You and got, I've got the, the Twitter, Facebook. But then the Twitter. Why, looks, why don't you have a website? The Twitter I just saw connects to your agent's website. Like yeah, that's the that's, website you got there. Yeah, well, I understand. I understand it because it's really hard to build a website. So you couldn't just have your own website. Yeah, oh, well, hold on a no, second. There, to get your no, own. It seems like it's, it's actually. Like, you would have thought that, but it's actually a lot easier now uh, because you can actually use a website, a service such as Squarespace. I'm sorry, can you Squarespace. say the name again? That's Squarespace. Squarespace. Okay. Squarespace.com. And this is a team of web designers no, that build no, your website. No, no, what this You'll is. You pay them hourly to build your site? They have, they have templates online just ready to go. They're extremely customizable, and it's extremely fast and easy to create your own website or online store. That's a new one we've just found out. Uh-huh. Or portfolio. We well, still don't know what that means. my body is my template. Can you explain, <laughs> Matt? Okay, that's the word temple, not template. Template is more of a, a pre-built format that you can drop your own website characteristics into. It's extremely simple. You can okay. fill it out with whatever you need. And it's and very customizable, those, so it doesn't have to look like anyone else's website. And, there's, and if you're having trouble, which you shouldn't because it's very easy, there is a 24-7 support team. Just when you there say twenty four seven, is that hours and days or? Yeah, that's twenty four hours, seven days a week. My goodness. Which is actually, if you that's think about it, that's time. all of the that's days all and of hours. The time. Now, what happens from five p.m. till nine a.m. when the internet shuts down? <laughs> uh, now that's when we take the internet away from you, Jesse. <laughs> but actually, most people can get to use the internet at all times. Matt, uh, I told you we can't talk about that. <laughs> wow! But it, it, oh, that's the website we use, and you can get a free trial, and you can get ten percent off all purchases. Sounds like it's fucking bullshit for portfolios, though, huh? No, you it's must, pretty good you for portfolios. Need some like secret code to do that that no one can well, get. Well, you though, can right? use the code probably science. We're just sharing it with you right now. The code probably science, and you get ten percent okay. off, and you get a free trial. Is it a free 30-day trial? And I believe there's no credit card required. No credit card required to try it out. So you can just get on the website, sign up, and just start playing around with it and see if you end up with the website you like, which you will. It's very simple and very easy. It's very easy. Wow. 
Well, uh, simple and easy are the same words, effectively. Yeah, I'm sold. <laughs> yeah. She's firing her agent right now. Why does my Twitter link to your stupid website? <laughs> <laughs> um, I got, I, so this email I got from v- the Vasogel team... <laughs> Because I'm on their mailing list now. I'm I'm interested in this study. I think it's it's very cool. We talked about you're a Lothario. We've talked about about town. (laughs) Talked about town, Matt Christian. I don't want to be potent. (laughs) I want my my seat to be ripped apart by static, which, as we now know, doesn't work. Static is a pretend concept. That's how the resident. It uses static. It it lines the it lines uh, the tubes with some kind of plastic composite that as the sperm swim through. They get charged, just they get electromagnetically them. charged, and it just annihilates and they can't deal with... It's a massacre. The same sperms you have Velcro on them in a yeah. protein format. It's the exact same one. They get ripped. What happens if you're on the Atkins diet, by the way? That's mainly mm. protein, right? Yeah, yeah. Is that It's just like your extra protein. It's so bad for sperms. Well, I don't know. <laughs> I, don't, I do not know. No, I'm going to sound like a complete idiot here. Mm-hmm. Um... You still stuff still comes out, yeah? Stuff still comes <laughs> out. Stuff still comes out. Stuff still comes out. And I'd imagine to... So what to a is... non-microscope wielder, that stuff would be identical and indistinguishable from the It's a shame because you only fuck microscope wielders. Because <laughs> 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 yes. yes. that's how they see. Yes. <laughs> Much Sorry. Oh, Sorry. oh, that's oh, one Dick-sized jokes. Rule number 10. Rule number 10 in British comedy. Rule number 10 of British comedy. Wait, we skipped nine. Nine was speed things up and play yakety sax. Um... So, wait. No, no. So Vasagel wrote to you. And what but you I want to know. I, I don't mean to interrupt, but I how much of... So I assume actual sperm cells take up very little of seminal fluid then. Yeah. Yeah, so, so tiny, the, tiny amounts. The rest the, just lets them live. It's the fluid that they can survive in. So what is that stuff? That's the semen that's produced by uh, uh, the seminal vesicle, I believe. Uh, sure. It comes from a mixture of the prostate and I can't remember where else this stuff comes from. We're not bio guys, but no, most of it's not. Sp- like, of course. That's why I think it's so funny when people are like, his sperm was everywhere or whatever. <laughs> not people say that. Yeah, whatever. Right. <laughs> <But someone uses, laughs> what conversations he are you about me? Is, is, in life? He, he mostly gets from angry hotel managers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there was so much sperm in the room. I'm like, no, that's not the right word for the thing that I missed the wood. The room. Uh... I think of when you mean semen. Yes. <laughs> Very uh, different. My right, semen so was the... everywhere, <laughs> and for that I do apologize. <laughs> I, I'm only culpable for the semen in this particular instance. So what's the, the veja... veja so, so their, so the veg- like, their preclinical studies have now completed. They're the baboon mating study plan... <laughs> So no, they've been no. trying out of baboons. And then most of this email, and I, I might check if I can just post the whole email online, because most of it is answering questions of animal welfare, and then it goes into extreme detail as to how they basically spunk milk a baboon. <laughs> Did you say spunk milk a baboon? That's exactly... I didn't know Scientific the term. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know a better way of putting it. Well, that's there jacking was baboons, off? There was baboon sperm everywhere. Excuse me. <laughs> baboon semen everywhere. <laughs> Mr. Wood. <laughs> <laughs> there was baboon semen all over the hotel room. It was there when I got there, though, in my defense, before just... I checked in. There was the baboon. Yeah. Who? Like, how could it be there without a baboon? What, could I have just... Like, you're suggesting I brought it in my case separately in this refrigerated... Oh, oh maybe I did. Maybe. <laughs> um, so it does so the baboons are being, are being milked ethically. They're being melted. <laughs> That's what they claim. They're enjoying it. They're there are three it. females in the project that we used only as 
teasers okay. to obtain oh, wow. semen samples oh, from the male. There's a baboon fluffer? And yes. then it says, basically, in brackets, basically, excite the males while the males mounted an artificial vagina. <laughs> <laughs> For some reason, I don't know whether this is a typo or whether this is how they always write it, they've written vagina V dash G-I-N-A. <laughs> like, like it's, oh, no. Like, like they Wait, hyphenated the A. So I can't trust these people with birth control. I'm going to assume that's like an auto thing that finds dirty words, and but that's replacing one for the letter spam filter. in a six or seven letter way. I don't know. Six yeah. letter word. No, I, like, I, I, was, uh, I was raised Jewish, and and because you can't your write... Your body's your template. You can't write... <laughs> You can't write the whole word of God on a piece of paper that might then be destroyed. You can't right. write the name of God. So Jewish people will write G-D. Because, religions, because is... religions don't understand symbolism? Yeah. Like, what, what they're based on? What? Um, it's the worst game of Wheel of Fortune ever. Yeah, V-G-I-N-A. Vogina. No, it's like <laughs> iTunes, iTunes reviews of albums. Um, ha- they have some kind of filter for bad words. And like so many reviews. Read on iTunes, you guys. Mm-hmm. Yes. By the way, you can read oh, us I on had iTunes. a look through. Um, I hadn't checked for a while. Some people have written some really nice things about us on oh, iTunes. And I thank you very thank much, you guys, the listeners yeah. who, who wrote. Uh, yeah, oh, gotta, we, we love the people who go then. to the website and donate. But also, if you don't have the funds to donate, or um, you can really help us out by rating us and writing nice things on that iTunes. That helps help us, yes. Really helps uh, people find our show and tell other people. Tell people about the show. But it says in here, the, the, female, the female baboons in the project, it says, we originally planned to adopt them out, but since they were all so old, we were concerned that the stress of the move might negatively impact their health. Earlier this month, we decided the best thing for all concerns would be to move them to a study of treatment for heart problems in older women that, that needed older rabbits, which are hard to find. Oh, is this rabbits now? By right, the way, guys, this, I know oh, this, this is like, rabbits. This is, this this is, is like sitcom 101. This is like the golden girls <laughs> for baboons. <laughs> <laughs> They've put them all in a hotel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They've got a load of old baboons who have been basically watching male baboons wank off. <laughs> <laughs> and now they've all gone to retirement. All right, pitch somewhere. the show. What's the title? This what do you call it? What golden, do you call it? Golden. All I'm getting is Gibbons. Golden. Golden Gibbons. Golden. Yes. <laughs> I think actually these were the rabbits. I've, I, I read ahead, so I think okay. they've, they've done the rabbit study and now they're moving on to the baboons. I love they're bearing the lead. Like the people who signed up for this email, like they're yeah. just. Literally, people are scanning this to see when could I stop wearing rubbers, yeah. and they're just like the baboons were treated ethically and sent out the rabbits in their hand. We're like, when do I stop wearing rubbers? Yeah, but there we go. That's it. So seriously, when do I stop wearing rubbers? What like what's what's um, the news? There's no news. Well, on the... apparently, I think now if you're mostly doing it with rabbits, you're fine. <laughs> okay, you'll okay, be okay, okay with baboons in a couple of years, and then hum- the human trial. It says a. Uh, the baboon study being finished later this year and a first small clinical trial starting next year and a large multi-site trial of starting humans. next year or early 2016. Of humans. Of humans, I think. Excellent. And, and uh, how do you volunteer to be one of the women who just watches people wank off? <laughs> <laughs> well, you have to be a baboon. Right. Okay, so okay. that's one of the things. So the human trials are being men wanking off. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, mounting an artificial vagina. Yeah, an artificial that's baboon vagina. Just, they're baboons. still watching the baboons. Yeah. <laughs> that's exactly the case. The men still have to look at the baboons. because It's called a control group. Don't you understand science? You can't change right. everything. You have to do the same once. thing both times. You can change both Stand. Uh, <laughs> Sarah, where can our listeners find more about you? <laughs> I didn't mean to link straight from baboon wanking to this. Sure, you didn't. <laughs> um, I, uh, I'm on Twitter as uh, Sarah L. Morgan. Sarah. Uh, you'll you'll find me. It's, yeah. Did so, you, so I this. Sorry, I was in my head there for a second. I was just trying to confirm. <laughs> did, did Did you guys not feel an earthquake that just happened? What? We just had one. 
What? Oh, really? Something just yeah. happened, but I yeah, didn't I say anything. I thought it was the know. dog or something, but now oh, everyone, that that but now everyone on Twitter is like, earthquake. Oh, what? there you go. Damn Sarah, it. you've been in the country for three days. You've experienced an earthquake. Yay. Congratulations. That was our first. You're like a lady baboon. That was our first on air. <laughs> yep, that was definitely an earthquake. And oh, I missed it. And uh, that was our first on air earthquake, guys. Well, let's oh. go back. Does it say what, yes, how, what the strength out. was? What Richter's. No, none of that will be out yet. It's, it's just people have just felt it, but this is all from. Less okay, than a I'm going to note the time right now and the time in our recording, and then we'll look up what time it happened. We'll, and then we will link on probabilitysense.com. We will give you the time code, so you can listen to the part where it happens to see if any of us act differently when we're being shaken around. Because I didn't, th- I didn't notice it, but uh, of course, uh, podcast is the first. Uh, no, to get I, defi- spooked. I definitely. <laughs> it's like, it's like the canary in the coal mine. It's how you can no, tell. No, I definitely. The podcaster felt it. stops podcasting. Then there's. A- I think I did. Yeah, it was. It was one of those small ones that felt a bit no, like it was just the whole thing lurched. But I thought it was. I thought it was Gus passing behind my. Oh yeah, chair no, I remember that now. There was a sort of. Yeah. Damn it! I thought someone kicked my chair or something. Yeah. How did I? You I just Sarah, you didn't feel it, did you? I, I there was something, but I didn't. Yeah. Um, oh. uh, I hate missing. No, what I I'm, do, I'm what I always do is I always look because stuff will be swinging, but nothing was swinging. None of our chandeliers were swinging. Oh, by the way, did I tell the listeners that I did go and video the pool after that big earthquake? Yeah, but I can still ago? we can still fact check this because I looked up what it's called and everything. It's a well-known phenomenon. The pool thing. The pool thing. It's bullshit, dude. No, it's not, okay. Andy. Okay, it was um. It was 3.7, uh, and it was six kilometers west-northwest of Westwood, California. So Westwood is pretty, is a suburb, is Westwood's a suburb of LA, right? Yes, Westwood's like where UCLA is. So it was six kilometers, about four, roughly four miles, three or four miles. Northwest north. of there? So it was in the hills. West, yeah, west-northwest. So. so it was in the hills then. So what, what Andy and I were just discussing that he thinks is bullshit is the fact that after an earthquake, your swimming pool will, um, the water will oscillate for a very long time. If you're pure of heart. Uh, no, and so oh. what it is, it's a phenomenon known as a seich, S-E-I-C-H-E. Okay. Uh, maybe it's psych, pronounced psych. Um, very, very uh, well-known thing. We can all look at it right here, and I'm, I'm going to get the Seismo Lab at Berkeley's definition of it. There's also the USGS.gov definition. Uh, psych or seich is the sloshing of a closed body of water from earthquake shaking, swimming pools, reservoirs, and lakes. Um, and different types of earthquakes cause different severity in them. And, uh, yeah. But, Sarah, to give you background on this, this is how uh, intent I was on disproving this. That <laughs> after there was like a 6.30 a.m. earthquake that woke everybody up, uh, I got out of bed and took my iPhone down to the pool and just shot video of how the pool was as glassy as it could possibly be. Well, here are... Hundreds of YouTube videos showing other pools during okay. earthquakes. Oh, during I'm, I'm sure during. Oh, no, no, no. After uh, right the now. the, it's it's um because ours I was going for this. like. Oh, look at this. It, they say it's the difference between the trembling, violent, jerky ones and then the rolling ones. And the one that happened on Easter, the first year I was living here, our pool was nuts for like two days, but it was like a rolling earthquake. So it was like a vaginal, not a clitoral sort of. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. No, it was a, it was a real G earthquake, okay. but it was the but the chandeliers were going crazy. You know, it's weird. <laughs> All right, we should w- avoid talking about that kind of thing because last time we did, Sorry. we summoned a an earthquake. <laughs> like, just, I can only imagine the earthquake was summoned by talk of our baboon wanking. Yes. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. No, good call. Weird. Yeah, first on air earthquake, guys. I feel like we we did we accomplished something today here, guys. Yeah. We really did. Podcasted through an earthquake. So, uh, find Sarah online, Sarah at Sarah L Morgan. Um, I don't know. Yeah. Has anyone got any uh, the the own the only sort of gig that I want to plug that's coming up is on at Glastonbury Festival. I'm performing at some point on the Saturday, 
in the cabaret tent. I think it's going to be like early eveningish. I don't have the exact time, but I'm guessing it'll be around five or six. So at some point, then come to go to the cabaret tent. I'll be tweeting out my exact time if you want to see me do stand up. Uh, I'm not in the UK that often these days, so come to one of those. Do that. Also, yeah. I, I, I hate to always be plugging festivals, but um, I one of the producers of the LA Podcast Festival just oh, happening back the third year of it, September 26th to 28th. And you can get tickets at LAPodfest.com, and probably Science will be there, among many other greats, including um, Mark Maron's WTF. All the hits. All the all your favorite podcasts will be there, basically, and it's a great time to come hang out with your favorite podcasters and have a fun weekend in LA. So, thank you very much for listening. Thanks, Sarah, for joining us. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks so much, Thanks for the earthquake, guys. Oh, Jeez. You're we very did it welcome. for you. Yeah. We did it for you. And so touristy. <laughs> 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 I know. We'll see you next week. Thanks a lot. Bye. Bye.